Blog Talk Radio. Wednesday night, everybody. I know, when, I know welcome at home are the Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay Lightning and Tampa Bay. I know one thing, Lord Stanley's on the beach today getting a nice sunburn of his <laughs> silver, silver coat and I'm up there. I'd like to welcome our legends, please. <laughs> 
from Philadelphia, Mr. Roger Hendler from the Jersey Shore slash Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson from Tampa Bay, Mr. Roy Cummings, and from down in beautiful Manatee County, Mr. Frank Carroll spinning the board, spinning the dolls. Gentlemen, good evening. What a Wednesday night, huh? Good evening, Tommy. Great to be with you. I'm sorry. Tommy, it's always great to be with you guys, and so much going on right now in baseball and basketball and <laughs> almost oh, everything, yeah. football. So we got a lot to talk about tonight. Yes, sir. Roy, Roy, I'll read off this one question. Uh, how about, did you ever think the Bucks would be over 500 this season? I, I looked at a paper today. My God, they're leading in the division right now. And the, and the Eagles are 1-2-1 one, one leading that NFC East. It's the wacky world and, and the world of the NFL, right, Roy? Yeah, look, no, I, I, I definitely thought the Bucks would be over 500. Uh, look, I, I pegged them for nine or ten wins. Um, based on what we saw of them last year with uh, fewer mistakes at the quarterback position, I think you factor that in, a growing defense. Um, if you fix the special team's problems, uh, yeah, I always thought they'd be uh, a better than 500 team. Um, I didn't think they'd win the division. I, I'm still not sure they will, but. Yeah, I thought they'd get to the playoffs as well, um, you know, unless, of course, there were some, you know, some teams that kind of, you know, sprouted up and uh, surprised everybody. But I'm not really seeing that in the NFC. Obviously, the East is, is just a disaster. Uh, most of the century, most of the South is a mess. Uh, Carolina's not very competitive. The, Atlanta's horrible, as Roger will uh, tell us all and uh, as he heads back. And uh but so, but no, I, I, I'm I'm not surprised the Bucks are uh, over 500. Uh, they haven't played a great uh, deal of competition yet. Um, the best team they've played is the Saints, and probably the Saints um, are a little bit less than what you know we thought they were at the beginning of the year. But uh, tomorrow's a decent challenge uh, on the road at Chicago, which has found a way to win uh, consistently so far. So uh, you know, good test ahead. But uh, I think the next month will. Um, Tell us a little bit more about the Bucks. Look, the, the Bucks have what they've done. They've they've won some games here while not playing their best football. And uh, I've said for right. you know for ages, uh, if you can win when you're not playing your best, doesn't matter the sport. Uh, that's that's to me that's a sign of a good team. So they're a pretty good football team actually. Mm-hmm. Roger. Well, the uh, Tommy alluded to the Eagles, and uh, Roy alluded to the Falcons. <laughs> And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, maybe the Eagles have turned it around. I mean, it was a depleted San Francisco 49er club. There's no doubt about that. But at least the Eagles were showing some sign of life. And, uh, you know, you've got to wonder. uh, We talked to Mike Conti last week. And uh, you've got to wonder, uh, Roy, how tenuous Dan Quinn's position is as the head coach of the Falcons. And Bill O'Brien was let go by the – uh, Texans and the coach and general manager. So uh, mm-hmm. zero and four. I guess uh, it's going to it's going to be a domino effect, wouldn't you think? Well, O'Brien, yeah, I do. Uh, he pretty much got himself fired because he he held a press conference after the game and then the following day, and he said, "I did the worst coaching job that could possibly be done." So, Roy, I think he pretty much opened the door to goodbye himself. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's typical of coaches to fall on the sword uh, after a bad loss. But uh, I, I don't think you're wrong, though. The, the the reason I think the reason he got fired is because he, he traded away one of the best uh, receivers in the game, got very little back, and uh, it's not working out very well for him. So, 
a combination of things there. When you let a guy like DeAndre Hopkins leave and, uh, you know, replace him with the same caliber of talent uh, at another position, uh, you know, or at a position of need, uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And uh, he mm-hmm. has failed indeed. And uh, look, he has, he, uh, it's been a mystery as to how he survived to this point as it is. Um, you know, I think the fact that he's all, they've made the playoffs consistently, but just can't win there. Um, has, you know, given him some extra life. But uh, it caught up to him, and there's a lot of talent on that Houston team, and uh, Bill O'Brien wasn't necessarily bringing it all out. Um, they got one of the best young quarterbacks in the game, and uh, they need to build around him. And instead, uh, it looked like they were kind of tearing, tearing down around him. So I think uh, Bill O'Brien has gone as much for his general manager duties or uh, failures as he is as a coach. So, um and then, like you said, in uh, uh, in Atlanta, Roger, yeah, I don't know that Arthur Blank is going to accept the injury situation there as an excuse. It's not like the Falcons were playing well before the injuries hit. Um, now, they did hit early, but uh, like I said, it's not like they were playing exceptionally well. They, uh, they've given up some monumental losses here after having strong leads. And this goes back to the Super Bowl loss against New England. Right. Um, this is a, this has kind of become the legacy of, uh, of, of of Dan Quinn. So we'll see what happens there. And meanwhile, in, in Philadelphia, I, look, you got to be encouraged by what you saw Carson Wentz uh, down the stretch in in the game last week. It looks like he, he clearly came out of the out of the shoot this year, um, struggling, uh, maybe not feeling right. Hard to know, but uh, he seemed to start to start to turn it around a little bit there uh, last weekend. So. Uh, if you can if you can build off of that, uh, the Eagles. I mean, look. The good news is there's plenty of time to to run away yeah. with this division. Uh, at one, two, and one, it doesn't matter, man. Yeah, they're, they're leading the division, which is uh, remarkable. First but they place. can still run away with this thing. First place. Roy, hey, Roy, let me right ask there. you something about the Bucks. You got uh, O.J. Howard out for yeah. the rest of the season, and then you got Mike Evans. That's maybe and maybe not um, really hurt. Uh, that pretty much decimates their uh, their receiver core. Um, how do you see them uh, going forward? Yeah, it's a great question, yeah. Frank, because not only is it Mike Evans who is questionable for tomorrow night's game at Chicago, uh, he's got some knee problems, he's got some ankle problems, uh, maybe some foot problems that they're not, uh, you know, being too uh, forthcoming about. Uh, that's one issue. Uh, yes, O.J. Howard is out. Um, I wouldn't be too concerned. O.J. Howard's a tough loss. But O.J. Howard has a tendency to drop about one out of every three passes he catches. This just means, look, no team is better set up, guys, to lose a tight end, no matter where he, where, where he fits on the depth chart, than the Buccaneers. They lost the guy at the top. But you do have Rob Gronkowski, who they proved a couple weeks ago can, can still dominate when he's given the opportunity or they need him to. Uh, Cameron Bray is still as good is as good as there is among pass catchers at that position. Um, they've got other guys behind them. Tanner Hudson is one. Uh, they, you know, so they've got some guys. Uh, they got plenty of bodies at that position. They're not hurting there. Um, but you're right about the wide receiver position. You know, Justin Watson is going to be out of this game tomorrow. Um, he's a guy, he's a kid that uh, Tom Brady's leaned on a little bit. Not as much as Scotty Miller, but uh, no Chris Godwin, no Watson. Uh, maybe no Evans, and if they do have Evans, he's going to be toughing it out again. He did a great job of that last week. But, you know, yeah. one thing the Buccaneers have to be concerned about here is how much more 
can uh, Mike Evans play on that leg uh, without doing further damage that's going to be, you know, critical or, or, or just end his season. That's what they've got to really think about uh, because they don't want to lose him long term. You've already lost uh, Chris Godwin here for a while, uh, so you don't want to lose him long term. It might not be a bad idea if he's not 100% uh, to sit him and lean on some other guys uh, just because, you know, you need him healthy for the long haul. If they had a bye week coming up next week, it would be a simpler call, but uh, they don't. So uh, it's a bit of a tough call for them. Maybe they hope that the extra time off uh, between, you know, games after this week will help him. Uh, but I think you're going to see Tom Brady obviously leaning a little bit more on the Scotty Millers and uh, and those types. You know what? They also lost their best pass-catching running back in LaShawn McCoy. So they right. are right. really hurting at the wide receiver position. But you know what? Again, it's not like Tom Brady doesn't know how to deal with a lack of weapons. Uh, he spent the last two years in New England, uh, you know, basically looking for anybody that could uh, catch the ball for him. So, I, I feel he probably thinks he's still uh, kind of died and gone to heaven with all the weapons he's got. <laughs> Roy, it, it definitely looked on television, and you just mentioned the fact that, that it was a knee injury when they took him off. It looked on television like he got a knee into the thigh, uh, but it's definitely the knee, huh? Mm-hmm. You're talking about Mike Evans? Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, that's the thing. We're, it is the knee. Um, it did look like he got hit in the thigh, but he's also got a bit of an ankle problem. That, and I don't know that, again, it was clear that he had, had that was one issue as well. So he's just, be, he's just dealing with, he's just, got, he's just a little bit beat up right now, and he really needs time. And don't forget, he also had a hamstring issue for a while. And who knows if any of these problems, uh, these subsequent issues, the knee, the ankle, uh, are a result of you know, him favoring that hamstring in some way. Uh, sometimes that happens, but... Um, Look, Mike Evans has really gutted it out here for the last couple of weeks. Um, again, my concern would be, you know, are they pushing it too far? Uh, you don't want to lose him for this game if you if you don't have to. But to me, and especially when you're down a couple of bodies at the you know at the pass catching position, we just just call it pass catchers because the Bucks use them all in different ways: tight ends, running backs, and wide receivers. But you don't want to lose them. But um, you got to be, uh, you know, now you, you just got to be careful about uh, not putting them out there and hurting him, uh, putting him in a situation where he could hurt himself worse and you lose him for the long haul. Roger? Yeah, you know, I was just uh, reading an interesting uh, article about uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, talking about he shook hands, uh, you know, with um, one of the, uh, with Stephen uh, Gilmore, and Gilmore uh, tested positive, I guess, what, Tuesday for uh, COVID. So, you know, you just have to be concerned about whether the the season, you know, with Cam Newton, a couple number of others. I think we got to be concerned about whether there is going to be a full season. They've already had to postpone a couple games. You're right, uh, Roger. I, I, there are there are talks going on behind the scenes right now about potential bubble-like situations uh, at some point. I don't. I, we're not there yet, but I think if if another team look, look let's face it. I think the Titans, the Titans are probably going to lose their game this week. I'll be a little surprised if they don't. I think it'll be a little bit reckless and irresponsible if they don't. Um, I think they should probably move that game as well, just because uh, you know you can't go two days and cross your fingers and hope that uh, 
mm-hmm. nobody gets the virus and thinks that you're, you're you're past the issue. Uh, when you know two days later two guys show up with it, uh, you, you got a problem on your hands still, and you have to you have to take care of that. Um, but you're right. Stephen Gilmore shows up t- uh, Tuesday with the coronavirus, and uh, it's, there's video out there. It was after the game. Patrick Mahomes was literally face mask to face mask to him, and I don't know if it was a, a friendly uh, thing or whatever, but you just got to imagine that they may not have been six inches apart, much less six feet. Mm. And you got to right. think if Stephen Gilmore tested positive three days later, he probably had the virus then. And it's probably inside Patrick Mahomes now. Again, most young people are dealing with this pretty well. Um, they get they get through it rather, uh, I won't say effortlessly, but uh, without a whole lot of symptoms or concerns. That's most, not all. But um, the bigger issue is you're around all kinds of coaches, uh, team personnel who, uh, who who may have issues that uh, that put them in peril. Mm-hmm. So. The NFL's got some problems on their hands here, guys, and uh, how they handle it is going to be—it's uh, going to be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens here. Uh, they may end up having to go to a bubble-type situation. How that looks, I don't know, but I, I know for a fact that it's being discussed at the uh, in the league offices at this point. Tommy, mm-hmm. I'd like you and uh, Roy both to, to comment on this. You and I talked about it before we won the air. Uh, the post, mm-hmm. of course, carried this story today. I don't know how much of it was carried down there in Tampa, but. Uh, a little bit of a controversy about the broadcasters there about whether or not they were just talking about injuries to players or whether they were looking forward to sin or, or, or judge to come up with a hamstring pull. What are they writing in the papers down there about it? It's totally a mess, Don. You could agree with me. I mean, half the time these guys are yakking, yakking so much in the, in the booth. Instead of watching us on the field, and let the fans, you know, talk about that. But they, were, they must have did something stupid. That's all I can say. You know, you can't take it away from yeah. those guys. Roy, yeah, did you see uh, anything in the say, papers uh, about John, it? I, I didn't hear exactly what was said, and I have not seen a transcript. Look, I know both of those guys. Um, I, I don't know them, you know, either they're not buddies of mine. It's not like, you know, it's Rick Peckham and Bobby the Chief Taylor or anything like that. Um, I, I know who they are. I know their background. I know their uh, professionalism. Um, I, I think that was more than likely taken out of context. Again, I would like to hear the whole, you know, uh, the whole commentary and, and see what was said. They're not the kind of guys who are looking for people to get hurt. They're they're, they're clearly not like that uh, at all. And so I'd have to see what was said to, to really comment on it. But I will I will speak for their character. Uh, I, I, I listen to those guys a lot. Um, I, I tend to be in my car a lot around uh, 7 o'clock, uh, 7.30, uh, and, and when the Rays are playing. And uh, I, I've heard those guys, you know, for, for years. So uh, they're, they're professionals. Uh, I, I, I find it really hard to believe that any of them would have been, ex- you know, wishing for an injury, uh, hoping that, you know, somehow one, one could be inflicted upon them. Uh, look, there guys. There are times when you know they kind of. I, I agree with you, Roy, and I, I'm certainly more than willing to accept it because in the paper today, uh, Dave Wills did say on WDAE his comment was that uh, you know he had never in all his broadcasting career wished an injury on anyone. That he was really referring to, rather than wishing an injury, he was referring to the fact that Judge, uh, you know, as well as Stanton. Uh, sprinting to first base during the course of the season over the years 
have us come down with a hamstring pull. Uh, mm-hmm. But he just happened to use it, I guess, uh, you know, uh, during the course of one of the going, you know, busting it down to first base, I think it was Stanton. And uh, so they sort of took it, uh, took it the wrong way. He, he uh, clarified it after the game and in the paper, he said that, you know, never in his broadcasting career would he wish for somebody to be injured. Yeah, like That's I right. said, and, and and the other thing, you know, I'll say is that, uh, uh, yeah, I I I I, sort of, I heard it, you know, I heard heard it the other day, and and I kind of figured right away that somebody was somebody was taking it a little bit too far, taking it well out of context, and that kind of thing. That's what I I was pretty sure of. Um, but I, well, the other thing I was going to say about um, uh, about the two raised announcers, Andrew Freed, and uh, uh, is that they they they, they trade off being play-by-play and analyst. Um, I'm not sure either one is really qualified to be an analyst. Neither one played the game, but oh. they've been around the league oh. for a long time. But that's what they, they kind of trade off. And, and in their analysis, uh, they are not uh, hesitant to be critical of the Rays. Uh, if players are not playing well, if they're uh, following up in some way, uh, they'll be critical of those guys. So, um, And, I, you know, as, as a listener and uh, a consumer of, uh, of it, I, hey, I, I appreciate that. I'd, I'd rather somebody uh, – Tell me how it is, rather than uh, try to paint a rosy picture when uh, you know when you're getting beat eight you know eight to two. That's right, Roger. I yeah, I agree with you, Roy. I'd rather have somebody be honest than uh, be a homebody, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, talking about the Rays, I mean they lost that you know, first game to the Yankees, but I'll tell you they look good in the in the second game, and I still think they're uh, they they've still got a chance. They're up one nothing yeah, right do. now. Ooh, yeah, good. there's there's some organization I can tell you that it's, they're impressive. You know they really yeah, they got to run. And, go ahead, Don. Yeah, I just got to say they got to run on the top of the second to go ahead one nothing, and uh, uh, you, uh-huh. you guys are both right. I mean they, the organization we've talked about it week after week. I, you know, and I'll let you comment more than I, Roy. You're right there, but uh, I'll tell you, cash is done. I think. Uh, I, <laughs> Unbelievably good job. Well, there's no question that um, you know since their inception, you know they have they have played, <clears throat> excuse me, at a major handicap. Um, they do not have the money that uh, that other organizations mm-hmm. have in their division, in particular Boston, New York. Uh, you know, not even they don't even have the money that Baltimore has. Uh, you know, for right. what it's worth, and um, and that's tough. And uh, but they, you know, they have found a way uh, through innovation and through studying the game in a way that you know not everyone always has uh, of bringing in players and, and taking chances on guys who are just ball players. You know, um, they've got a team full of ball players. They, they don't have a whole lot of super. They don't have any superstars really. They just have ball players, guys that go out there and can play a couple of different positions. Uh, you know, lefties who can hit left-handed pitching. Uh, guys who can move around a little bit. They, you know, this year they figured out uh, we're going to have to manufacture runs. We're not getting the power that we expect. Um, and they go out there consistently, uh, at least as often as they don't, over the course of seasons, uh, and, and challenge, and if not beat, the Yankees of the world, the Red Sox of the world. Uh, you know, if it weren't for the Oakland A's the last couple of years, they, you know, a team that they just, you know, seem to have their number, uh, you know, they they might have been in the playoffs a couple more times. And, uh, you know, I mean, they've played at that high a level. 
Uh, people here thought that when Joe Madden left, it was going to be a, a, a pretty tough run. It was for a year, maybe two, but shortly thereafter, you know, here they are back in, you know, at, at the top of, not just the top of the division, top of the league. And again, it's with players. Who's, who's ever heard of these guys? Joey Wendell, uh, you know, uh, Randy Arozarena. Yeah, go through the go through the lineup. Nobody knows these names. They're, they're just ball players, and and they figure out what they do well, and and they lean on that. It's it's kind of like it's almost like Bill Belichick with the with the Patriots. He goes out and gets a bunch of guys, not not necessarily a bunch of guys you've heard of, but guys who can play, do do certain things, play a role, and and, and make a team a winner. And that's what the Rays do. They go out and get guys who can play a role and make you a winner, mm-hmm. and it works. And they also picked up a catcher who was uh, uh, on two very, very good clubs and, uh, you know, couldn't make the grade, supposedly, and he wound up with the race. And now, both defensively and offensively, he hit a home run. Uh, it was, I think it was last night of the first night, I forget which ball game that was last night. But, uh, I mean, they've really gotten more than their money's worth out of him. Well, again, it's, it's what, that's what happens when you lean on players' strengths. The, the Rays don't ask Mike Zanino, who's the catcher you're talking about, to hit. They want him to be a defensive player. They'd love it if he hit 240. He doesn't hit 240. Mike Zanino hits 220 because he, he chases bad pitches. He's got a, he winds his strike zone. He's probably not a major league hitter, period. But he's a major league catcher. He knows how to That's run right. a game or call a game, rather. He knows how to throw guys out. Uh, he's a smart player. He can he can engineer the the defense out in front of him, uh, and they get other guys to hit. And no, they don't hit a whole lot, but when you hit and run, when you take advantage of uh, some speed here and there, hit behind mm-hmm. runners, uh, study uh, pitchers' moves, things like that. You know, you can you can get extra bases that way, and that's what the Rays count on. They they count on guys being smart ball players more than anything else, and talented in small ways rather than big ways, and uh, and it's helped them out a lot. Well, i got a question well, You know, you. another uh, – I was just going to say, another catcher been around, Mets, Phillies, Travis Darnell, and and look at him with the Braves, right? I mean, you know, there's another uh, a, a good example of a team that goes out and gets players that plug in to a position that they need – but they all seem to be successful when they do that. Yeah, it was a great pickup by the uh, Braves. I'll tell you, you know, Travis Darnold was here in Tampa last year. He kind of, you know, uh, rectified his career he, he, here in Tampa because he'd been hurt before that. Came up with the uh, Mets. Everybody thought he was going to be, you know, one of the next great things at the catcher position. And he just he, he struggled a little bit, and then he got hurt. And a lot of people forgot about him. And uh, he resurrected his career here in Tampa last year. And when the Braves picked him up to match him with Trey Flowers, you just figured, you know what, you got two really good catchers there, both of whom can hit. They're both pretty good defensively. And uh, the Braves are, uh, you know, look, smart move on their part because one thing about Travis Darnold, he he could always hit. It was really just Mm -hmm. a matter of him staying healthy enough, long enough to develop as a catcher behind the plate, and he's had that opportunity. So he's turned into a pretty well-rounded baseball player. And, again, um, that's the kind of player that the Rays excel with. Uh, and you know what? The, the Braves have become that way, too. Uh, they get guys. Uh, look, you've got something special, obviously, in Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies. But you know, guys like uh, Marcelo Zuna, 
you know, look, he's a hitter. He's a professional hitter. You know, stick him in left field, uh, maybe third base every once in a while. But you know, just let him hit. Mike Freeman is, uh, you know, is as good as as good as there is. Uh, Freddie Freeman, rather, and uh, they, they, they once again they built an incredible pitching staff. I mean, the, the amazing thing about the Braves, Roger, and you can speak to this, is they're missing arguably their best pitcher in Mike Soroka. But then Max Freeman right. comes through, Ian Anderson comes through. It's kind of like it was, you know, 20 years ago with these guys, where it's like, does it ever end? <laughs> they just keep bringing mm-hmm. pitcher after pitcher. You're right. That's right. You know, a good trivia question is about Travis Darno. He was in the Roy Halladay trade by the Phillies to the uh, the Jays. There you go. There you go. Well, I, I got he's, a question he's for been everybody. The, the, the poor kid has been, been around, around and he's stuck with yeah. it. And, and a lot yeah, of well, boys, our first what. half hour is about up. And uh, Roy, once again, as always, thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure. So many things to talk about we never even got to. And, and uh, you know, working on the basketball and the football. Uh, and next week we'll do it all over again. Thank you very much. Have Thank a great good. Thanks for having me, guys, as always. I appreciate it. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. And, oh, Frank, I didn't hear on the intercom who was up next. Go to you. You you jump in there. It's our special uh, baseball historian, author, um, Bo, uh, what were they called? Uh, Bo Vivant, as far as the uh, uh, putting out uh, uh, menus for people to, that, that uh, all travels all over the world. Uh, Mr. Steve Kinsella. Steve, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Okay. Man, Steve, glad to have you on with us again. And more importantly, if Frank gave you a long introduction, your time would be up. I do do miss traveling the world. That would be fun. I do have reservations in May to go over to Italy, France, and Paris, and that's my and Portugal. So that's my next trip. I'm hoping to be able to make that one. Hopefully, hopefully you will. (laughs) Hey, see, see, question of the day for you. What about what about our Browns? Three and one right now. That's a, that's well, yeah, I don't follow the NFL other than the business side of the NFL uh, too much. But I do. Uh, I I did liken what the Browns put together as similar to what they had back when they had the uh, Biner and Mack, you know, and, the, and uh, Ozzie Newsom and then Brennan, Slaughter, and Langhorn. Uh, that offense yep. basically controlled the ball and safe passes, and then they would throw down downfield long a couple times. And it seems like that's what they've constructed again, but that defense is probably a year behind the offense, but that's all I really know about that Browns team. Well, baseball is your game, and we're uh, right in the middle. First of all, your thoughts about the way the 60-game schedule went, uh, also the decisions made by the commissioner about how they were going to make set up the playoffs and where. Uh, An overview of that first before we get into individual teams. Well, the overview is Every day I woke up, and I think I told you guys a long time ago that, you know, 90% of the negative thoughts that enter your head never really occur. So every day I woke up and I had baseball, I was happy. Whether it was, you know, this team's worried or that team's worried or whatever was going on or how the playoffs were going to be set up, hey, we had baseball. And I, I, I know you guys are baseball fans, too. And regardless of what, how we feel about the lineups of the, the playoffs or the expanded playoffs, it's been fun. 
uh, it's been exciting and it's been well worthwhile. I wouldn't want to do this every year, but I can totally understand on a 60-game season having the expanded playoffs and the tournament style. But I do have a problem with the tournament style. Not a big problem, just, you know, when you got to the bubble out in California and over in uh, Texas, uh, the number one seed should have maintained playing the lowest remaining seed and they should have redone everything instead of a bracket style. So, for instance, if I was a commissioner, I would want the Rays and Yankees on a path to the American League Championship Series. Likewise, I would like to have the Dodgers and Padres on a path uh, to the uh, National League Championship Series instead of doing the bracket style, which puts what I consider the two best matchups in the game um, in a five-game division series. I agree with you 100%, but let's go right now to Roger. Roger, you, what's your comment? Well, I, I agree with Steve, uh, and uh, I think that, you know, they they got a late start because they were talking about the and these negotiations long before they came to fruition. But, um, you know, what do you think about how the uh, playoffs have gone, Steve, so far? Oh, it's been really entertaining. Um, I, I heard you guys talking about the Braves. I'm not too much of a uh, a red lineup or a Marlins lineup guy to really get a barometer on the Braves pitching staff. I like Ian Anderson. I like Max Fried. But let's be honest, when you're dealing with the Marlins team that had a negative run differential, uh, scored, I think, 250-some runs for the entire year or less in the 60 games, and, you know, the big bats they got, Starlin Marte, is there. Uh, I'm a little bit flat on that series. It lacks star power. Atlanta's pitching should be able to handle that lineup. Uh, most pitching staff should be able to keep that lineup in check. I mean, after Brian Anderson and uh, Jesus Aguilar and Corey Dickerson and, and maybe Rojas, you don't have too much more uh, to really worry about. Love the I love the Dodgers Padres series. Um, I spent many of my nights going back to what I did in my youth, and that is listening to a game on the radio when I went to bed. Most of the games were Rick Monday and uh, Charlie Steiner on the Dodgers, or the Padres guys um, on a Padres game, and th- that matchup is really entertaining. I mean, there's star power. There's uh, it, it's like the Rays and the Yankees. It's got everything you can want in a matchup. Um, the Houston and uh, Oakland series that's still going on um, is fantastic simply because the two teams like the Rays and the Yankees really don't like each other. Um, you know, this year they also, you know, both teams have kind of a benches, benches clearing incident. You know, the Rays had the throwing at uh, beanball thing with the Yankees. And Loriano went after one of the coaches of the Astros, and you know the the cheating thing with Houston is magnified with Oakland. So we got some really good series. I like the American League series a little bit more, though. Well, you know when you Steve, I, the Padres, I, I I agree with you about the, you talked earlier about the teams you thought were uh, you know you'd like to have seen in the finals, and I I agree. I think Tampa Bay and, and New York uh, would have been much better in the finals than in the semifinals, but. Uh, having lived with that, what do you think of the five game? The fact they're only going to play five games in this series. Oh, that's fine. I mean, a, a traditional 
ALDS and an NLDS uh, is fine. You know, it, it evens out. You know, guys, it, it's fantastic to watch baseball uh, in a more traditional sense. One thing that I don't like too much about the uh, postseason the last couple of years is the off days really changing the way the game is played from the regular season to the playoffs. And as you guys, everybody on this phone call should know me by now, I tell you, you don't win if you don't have a bullpen, you know? Right. And in the postseason, you can rest your bullpen and go to them more often, and uh, it kind of changes the game. But now you're playing five games in five days, and you got to make some decisions. Game one, the Rays, John Curtis threw 40-some pitches. They didn't want to get anybody hot in the bullpen. You don't want to waste guys because you don't have that built-in day off. So the five games in five days makes it rather exciting. Hey, Steve, I wanted to ask you, when you mentioned about uh, the Padres, uh, isn't Ted Leitner the uh, voice of the Padres, the play-by-play, right? Yeah, guys, he's fantastic. You know, uh, I grew up with uh, Herb Score on one one channel on my radio, and then um, if the Tigers or Indians were on the West Coast, I would flip over, I would get Ernie Harwell um, on the Detroit uh, broadcast. So, Listening to games on the radio as I was growing up and going to bed uh, was something that was uh, part of my uh, part of my DNA. And what I've been doing now is I just put the game on the phone, I put it down, and Ted Leitner <laughs> calling those Padres games right. has been fantastic. Hey, but Charlie Steiner and uh, Rick Monday are equally as impressive over there on the Dodgers game. I mean, uh, I, I used to love uh, back when they had something called Broadcast.com. Uh, which was like in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, is when they finally had baseball before MLB.com. And I used to study and listen to Vin Scully call Dodger games when I was studying late. And Steiner and Monday are doing a good job, you know, taking that uh, that mantle over. <laughs> and, it, uh, and I think part of it is also those two rosters and those two teams um, have been extremely exciting this year. So most games were very, were very thrilling when you were dealing with the Dodgers or the Padres. Well, I'll tell well, you, I, they, I heard uh, a lot of Steiner when he was been, in New York, when he when he yeah, broadcast the Yankees before he left to go out to the West Coast. But uh, you touched on the one thing: there was nobody like Vince Scully, and uh, you know he broadcast the games alone. And even when he yeah. did it on Major League Baseball the last couple of years, it was a broadcast that can't be duplicated. Uh, I'm not right. taking anything away from, from the two that are there now. Steiner was very good in New York. He's very good in L.A., but he's no, uh, he's no Vince Scully. And uh, there are, there's not going to be another Vince Scully. No. Well, the never. other thing is, Don, you you know what? You haven't uh, acknowledged that uh, when you talk about Ted Leitner, you worked with Ted Leitner on WCAU. Correct? Well, yeah, you're right. He was he was a sports anchor at uh, Channel 10 uh, when it was CBS before he became NBC. And he left uh, CBS and Channel 10 in Philadelphia uh, and, and got the job in San Diego. In fact, uh, we have Billy Warren Bell along with us many, many times. And Billy worked with him out in San Diego as well as in Philadelphia. Uh, so you're exactly right, Roger. Uh, he went from WCAU at Channel 10 in Philadelphia to uh, – out there to San Diego, and then moved in and took over the job baseball-wise on their broadcast. Yeah, it's been fantastic, you know. And uh, 
Steiner, by the way, as Tommy Gilbert might remember, maybe he doesn't, took over for Pete Franklin after Pete Franklin left uh, uh, for a couple years over in Cleveland. But uh, uh, Steiner told a a great story about, you know, uh, just a great baseball story. You know, it's it's not as good as Vin Scully, but it kind of brought me back. He said that uh, when the Brooklyn Dodgers finally beat uh, the Yankees, uh, is one of his earlier memory, memories of his youth. And he said he was in a house and everybody was there and there, everybody was crying. And he didn't understand it because you're supposed to, you know, he said you cry when you fall off your bike and you skin your knee. But everybody was so excited that Brooklyn, that Brooklyn had beat the Yankees that there were tears of joy. And it's the first time he ever experienced tears of joy in his life. And I, I found that to be a good story. And it's it, it's just one of those things that the uh, AM broadcast of a baseball game can bring you that TV generally well, Steve, doesn't bring Steve, the better part of that was that on the bus going over for Game 7, Johnny Padres, who was not a well-known, uh, and the story, of course, is, as has been forever, he came in to coach the Phillies, so I talked to him about it a lot of times. But on the bus, he going over, and he was a quiet guy. He wasn't a guy that really boasted or anything. He said, don't worry about it. I'm going to beat these guys today. Don't worry about it. We're going to win the pennant. And we're going to win the World Series. And, and that's a true story. I mean, he really did that. Wow. Wow. Well, it's, it's been fantastic. I'm, I'm sorry to go on about the two radio broadcasters as much as I did, but it's been a – that's how I spent part the of the game. after the radio game. Yep, that's all it part is. Part of the game. You make dumb mistakes. Hey, Steve, how many, how many dumb mistakes per score made broadcasted in the industry? But one time, I don't think you know what time he was in one night. <laughs> Who's that? Herb Storr. I mean, the oh, yeah, Herbie Storr. Yeah. I, yeah, I grew up with Herbie, you know, and uh, yeah. uh, he was fantastic. Well, I, mm-hmm. I remember that I, Herb Storr, got uh, hit by Gil McDougal's line drive and basically lost his uh, eye and uh, was never the same after that. Yeah. You know, uh, just so you guys know, one of the big things about Herb score wasn't the eye so much. It's believed that he tore the ligament in that elbow like pitchers, modern-day pitchers do today. Um, and that, that was the downfall, was the elbow injury that he, that he sustained. Um, back in the day, when they didn't have the MRI machine, and you guys could probably start listing the pitchers that did this, you know, they just it would be deemed having a dead arm. Right, you, you know, and your career Doctor Joe, Doctor Joe made a home run out of out of developing the the injury report. Yes, he did. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I read all these old books. I I'm reading the summer of '48 right now, and there's a couple pitchers in there I had never heard of, and I looked at their <laughs> careers, and they were fantastic, and suddenly they were gone. You, you know, and uh, I, I read more and more about these guys, and it. You know, as you find out, you know, it turns out to be a bad elbow or a bad hip is the other one, you know. Well, it was a different world when we didn't have that uh, medical technology. There's no doubt about it. And But the other thing is, Steve, look at the pitchers in the old days, the great matchups, the number 36, Robin Roberts against number 36, Don Newcomb of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And, I mean, they would pitch, pitch – Complete games every time out. Oh yeah, they should. Yeah, that was up till 1968. You know that was uh, that was fantastic. You know the uh, 
uh, the year of the pitcher and you know the uh, damn sorry uh, yeah that was that was a different era you know I mean uh, the ball didn't slide nearly as much you know it was pretty much a much better ball uh, it was much easier to uh, to record out since so many guys uh, were into not striking out you know which was you know, let's put the ball in play, and then you can get a, you can get a guy out in three pitches and get him to ground out the second. You know, a lot of times because you had right. a lot of hitters hitting two seventy, two eighty, oh. and on base at three ten. You know, so you well, can work a lot. Um, well, two things about that, Steve. One is that uh, you know, I, I mean, I remember Roger bringing it up. I mean, I remember when when Don Nuka pitched both ends of a doubleheader. He pitched the, the whole game in the oh, first yeah. game, and then. He, Laid out, and then he came out and pitched out the pitched the second game. So, you oh, know, yeah, there were guys... a lot of that. I mean, uh, there were a lot. There was a lot of that going on. I mean, believe it or not, even uh, you know, uh, even a knuckleballer like uh, uh, Phil Necro, up to age forty eight, he was still hitting three hundred innings in a lot of his. Uh, lot Absolutely. Of his uh, back Absolutely. Then, you know. Yeah. But it it is funny that uh, you know up. You know, up till up till when Billy Martin ran everybody out there in today's in in, in the newer baseball, Billy Martin tried that I'm going to run everybody out there, and he had 120 complete games, I think, in one season in 1980 uh, with the Oakland A's, and the four guys that completed I think 28 or more uh, complete games, I think they had a total combined of like 20 starts in their career afterwards. Um, it, it really took a toll on modern baseball uh, when they figured it out. Uh, guys like Steve Jones got burned out in 80-81. Uh, Ron Guidry started to fade a little bit. You know, right around there, right around 80-81. Uh, we lose right? Steve? No, I'm still here. No, Hello. he's there. Steve's there. You there, Roger? I'm here. I was still here. Everybody's Hello? still on, Don. Yeah, everybody's still on, Don. We're all here. <laughs> Did we lose Don? Here, 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 here. Go ahead, Steve. No, no, it was, it was just funny to, uh, you know, uh, as, as baseball moves forward, it's uh, it, it's amazing how, how much more athletic everything is and how much, you know, it, it's just it's phenomenal to watch. Oh, you know, is. especially pitching. absolutely. You know, I I live for pitching. I love watching these guys work, and uh, uh, it's it's something. You know, it is it really is phenomenal. You know, there is that point uh, where you could see when they lose it more than ever before. You know, you could see hitters squaring the ball up. You could see the ball not having the depth that it used to have. You know, you could really see when a pitcher's losing. And when I was, you know, back in like, you know, 1980, 1975, 1984, it didn't have that same pronounced drop, it didn't seem. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's just fantastic to watch. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden you were gone. <laughs> yeah, we lost you. <laughs> Twilight Zone. It's, it's a Joe Biden effect, Ron. Roger. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You're right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, boy. Well, well Steve, I know you're a big numbers guy, and, and uh, I don't know whether you looked it over or not. And I, I didn't either, but I got a good friend of mine that is a big Chicago Cubs fan who lives out in Chicago. And uh, the big 
the big hitters, the top of the order for the Chicago Cubs, I mean, that's an excellent team. And they went one for 24 in those two games in the playoffs. Can you imagine that? One for 24. It's almost impossible. It, it is. It's, you know, it's going cold at the absolute worst time to go cold, you know. Right. And uh, that could happen, guys, in a three-game series in May. It could happen in June. It could happen again in August. But when it right. happens in October, that number uh, is going to stick, you know. And uh, uh, th- that's not fun. You know, it's not fun to have a – if you're a fan of a team where the top of your batting order is one for 24 um, in, a, in, a, in a brief three-game series, uh, that's not good. Nope. Not good at all. Get the blue boards out. Get the blue yeah, boards. Right. <laughs> Hold on a second. I think Tommy could hit one for 24. <laughs> hey, Don, I got a Don, I got a footnote to that story, right? Back in Go Cleveland, when I, was, when I was still covering the Indians in Cleveland, uh, John Maroon was then the PR director, he was a good friend of mine. He says, Tommy, come down to the stadium, you know, come to the stadium and swing for shoes. So, okay, we got on the, we got on the old Cleveland Stadium. Don, we get on the Cleveland Stadium, figure how many times that home plate was touched by. Hall of Famers, okay? So I got in the batting box right now. First ball hit was foul, right? Second ball hit, just made the left seat field seats for a home run. <laughs> then I went out, I got wow. out the ball and signed myself. Yeah, true story. Did they sign you up, Tommy? <laughs> no, they just laughed at me. It's <laughs> 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 a golf's your game, Tommy. Golf is your game, so that's about it. So. But as a, as golf a, is your you game, know, yeah. Roger. Go ahead. What's on? I don't know. The Yankees got the bases loaded right now with uh, two outs. And yeah, Charlie uh, Morton's big... having trouble finding the uh, strike zone. Yep. It's 1-1. One, one, it's got a 3-1 pitch coming up. The big pitch of this game right now with the bases loaded. Strike two. You guys, you guys want an incredible number. Is uh, And I always remember this. Is uh. Jim Palmer never gave in, never gave up a grand slam in his career. That's I right. I don't know that. That's right. That is I amazing. Uh, that is amazing. He always said, he... if you get the bases loaded and you fall behind, don't give in. Walk the guy and move right. on to your next hitter. They get the run That's and you right. move on to the next hitter. Well, they didn't give up either because they grabbed a ball to shortstop and uh, it's still 1-1 and they're going to you know, uh, the top of the fourth inning. Let me tell you something. You just lowered my blood pressure by about, you know, 85% because you are ahead of me, my man, uh, by about 10 seconds. And I've been like, the reason I haven't been speaking is I'm watching this and my heartbeat's going a million miles an hour. <laughs> oh, no. You know, it's funny when I was doing basketball, and uh, a number of people was doing it on the radio. A number of people would say, how the hell do you know that free throw went in the basket before it came on? And I said, you don't realize when you're watching television, the signal goes up and the signal comes down. And there's about a three-second difference between the time that you broadcast on the radio and the time that you're seeing it at home. And nobody understood. How in the world do you ever know these mystery? And, then, and I, 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 you know, I try, try to explain it to them, but they have to impossible. I can't. Have, that's 
That can't happen that way. I said, well, <laughs> tell, tell, you tell the world of electronics. You guys, mental, you guys just gave me a mental health break because I was really uh, frozen. I was unable to really put my thoughts together. Anyways, uh, isn't, that a, isn't that a fantastic stat, stat that Jim Palmer never gave up a grand slam? I mean, there's a guy that made a lot of starts, a lot of pitches thrown. Even when he got older in his career, he still didn't give up a grand slam. And I love the mentality, gentlemen, of walk the guy. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, walk him. I mean, one run yeah. better than four, right? That's right. And he was a great broadcaster, too. Yes, he still was. Is. Yeah. yeah, it still is with the uh, Orioles. Yeah. Yeah, we see yeah, him he, every uh, year here in Sarasota, so we get a chance to uh, – to uh, you know, and talk about baseball and see him on a regular basis in spring training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, you know the uh, going over to something else, guys. I was thinking about you. I see that you're uh, that Matt Clintech stepped down, and the search is yeah. on for a new uh, uh, new president or baseball operations guy. And again, I was uh, as we've always talked, and the last time we talked. Again, I, I was down there for that Rays Philly series, you know, the three gamer to end the year, and it astounds me that Philadelphia still doesn't have a bullpen. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it just still don't. To me, how can it, you it, how can you say that when they only had a ten point something ER? You don't think that was very good? <laughs> you, you know what Terrible. came up on the broadcast, the radio? I had to, I had my earbuds and I was listening to Dave Wills. Um, and he said, to give you an idea of the Phillies' bullpen this year, hitters hit against the bullpen with Joe DiMaggio's career numbers. <laughs> you know, batting. <laughs> so he goes, basically, every time a Philadelphia reliever steps on the mound, they made the hitter into Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> <laughs> that is sad. <laughs> I feel bad for you guys because, to me, the Phillies have a good team uh, unit. Your defense yeah. isn't horrible. The the offense isn't horrible. The starting pitching isn't horrible. You know, John Hart, who I consider a great architect mm-hmm. of uh, baseball, he's a great architect. He said yes, he something is. many years ago that stuck with me, and he said, you know, you've got your offense, your defense, your starting pitching, and your relievers. He goes, you need to be league average in all four of them or better, and you can't be mm-hmm. awful in any of them. Well, I like to know, you, you were fortunate enough not to have to watch Joe Girardi after those games because I've, I've never felt sorry for a manager doing a post-game show like I did for Girardi. I mean, absolutely incredible trying to answer questions about why he did this or why he changed that when he had nobody to change to. I, I've been saying it for years, guys. I mean, a manager will look good when when the deci- if you bring a pitcher into a game and they do what they're supposed to do, you don't have to answer questions. If you bring them in and don't do what they're supposed to do, well, then you got to ask questions. And unfortunately, when you don't have you know the arms lined up, you're you're basically flipping a coin every time that somebody goes into a game. I just, mm-hmm. I would, I marvel at the, uh, that's two years in a row. I've been talking to you guys that the Phillies just could not put a bullpen together. 
Well, that's right. Sure you see him every day. Uh, oh, and I'll tell you what, and uh, I lived and died with him. And, I mean, everybody <laughs> that they brought in had, had, had done well previously at, the, at a past stop on the, the, right. on the MLB uh, trail. But the other thing is, I think that the team lost just a lot of uh, confidence uh, because they would have good leads and then the bullpen would lose the game. They should have uh, mm-hmm. had a lot, like maybe at least six to ten more wins. It, it's awful. Minimum, minimum. And, and it's, it's, it's what I've been telling. It's how I live in baseball now is arms, arms, and more arms. I mean, uh, you got to make sure that you've got arms everywhere uh, for any situation and, and get them in there. And I'm sure that's something that Philadelphia um, is going to, again, try to remedy. I mean, a couple of years ago, what, everybody they signed got injured. David Robertson, Pat Neshack, Tommy right. Hunter. Uh, I think the list goes on and on. And then this year you had, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez, he also got injured. And, you know, he's since right. had Tommy John surgery. And, you know, this year, again, David Robertson seemed to be like he was going to be a nice addition in early September. And he had another setback. You know, it's uh, uh, it, it, it's astounding. To me. Well, Steve, I, I, I want to thank you as always. I leave you with this, and, and uh, I've never seen or heard a more uniform decision that the, that the organization made a mistake, like the New York Yankees last night and Boone. The way they decided for all their uh, inside information that they get from all these hieroglyphics, uh, that, that no, there's not one person at that radio, television, newspapers that that was the dumbest game, too, that, that had been managed and organized in the history of baseball. And we'll get your comments on that the next time you join us. I hope you'll join us next week or the week yeah. after. Sure, guys. Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll talk, and uh, we'll see where everybody is then. And uh, until then, take care, gentlemen. You too. Take Steve. care. Thanks for, uh, as always, we, we love talking right, to you guys. You're, uh, you're great. Well, Mike's all set to go. Mike's all set to go down there in Baltimore, Washington. And of course, uh, the Nationals are not playing in the playoffs this year. Hence, <laughs> winning the World Championship. And uh, there are a number of other teams in Washington that are also having a difficult time. And Baltimore had a difficult time last weekend trying to get a win, although they did this weekend. And uh, Mike, give us a little input on the soccer, on the football, on the on the baseball, on everything. Well, um, you know, I wanted to throw my hat in to be the ring, uh, to into the ring to be the new potential new quarterback for the Washington Redskins since they're making changes. You know, I'm old as dirt. I have one knee that doesn't work and the other one's broken, and my 40 times get timed <laughs> with uh, hourglass. <laughs> but at the rate they're going, what do they have to lose? Right. Yeah. Hey, they took a chance Mike, on Sonny Yeah, <laughs> that's right, Frank. You're exactly right. Bring him back. You know, Mike, I did want to ask you, because uh, we talked earlier in the week. Uh, did you have uh, Mike Conti on your show the other night? No, uh, I couldn't get in touch with him. But, uh, you know, it, then it occurred to me when I, um, that, you know, he's got the whole thing to do. He was busy with uh, the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. So hopefully I'll be able to get in touch with him and get him on. Oh, good. And, yeah, uh, he'll get back to you. He's, he's good. Yeah. And uh, they actually came up here – and after that conversation that we were having last week and we were talking about how uh, Atlanta United couldn't score and how poorly they were playing, they laid a um, 
4-0 whooping on uh, D.C. United, which actually put them back in the playoffs uh, at the number nine seed. And right now uh, it's halftime in uh, Philadelphia, and the Union coming off of a 2-1 loss last weekend or looking to pick up a win. Uh, it's Eastern Conference and MLS. Uh, like I said, the Atlanta United's win last week put them in the playoff picture. Uh, the Union losing 2-1 to Toronto dropped them from the second spot all the way down to fourth. So, uh, Any score right now, Mike? No, nah, nothing, nothing at halftime. And, uh, okay. You know, Cincinnati is, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a new team. Last year was their, their first year. And they're kind of just sitting back and inviting the union to try and break them down. And I know I've said on this podcast, my own show, many times, sometimes that's the hardest thing in soccer to do is just break down a team that's defending and try and score. It worked for them. It worked for Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago when they held the union uh, nothing, nothing in Cincinnati. And it looks like they're trying to. Mike, let me interrupt for just a second. Let me interrupt for just a second to say. the Rays have just had a three-run home run, and they now lead the Yankees four to one, playing at the top yeah. of the fourth inning. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, oh, well, the Rays no, are. Because I would have been flipping back and forth from between that one anyway. But like I was Kiermaier, saying, Kiermaier, hit it out. This works for them. This works for Cincinnati uh, as they're trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Union have, I think, eight games left in the season. Uh, they have a bunch of winnable games. They've got one more against Toronto and another one against Columbus, who are right now the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. So if they can get some big wins, you know, they, they could be serious favorites running into uh, MLS playoff time once they start. Interesting. Wow. Oh, Mike, I'd say one thing. Lord Stanley's taking a nice – Having a nice beach vacation in the Tampa Bay area right now, so he's got uh-huh. suntan lotion and join everything. So <laughs> and I'm enjoying that victory. That was fantastic. Oh, I, I, well, I that, that, that was I great. I called it from the shot, and that's your perfect uh-huh. one. Dallas is the perfect team you measure up with. You know, a couple of scenarios up there, but our media wasn't that swift to think about it. Ben Bishop played for the Lightning in the finals, and he ran in Victor Hedman for that Chicago goal. And you Rick Bonus used to coach under with um, with John Cooper, and then you have like, and, and that, that's all you have. But give, I get, you got to give the Lightning third line credit for actually doing some work, and 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 then Dabrowski finally stood up to his potential. So it was a good season. Certain season, see what happens next year. Any season that ends with the title is probably a good season, and I don't care what anybody says. The fact that Tampa Bay won it after everything that they've been through this season um, yeah. with the shutdown and the bubble and stuff like that, they're very much deserved champions, and their names deserve to be on the Stanley Cup. Um, Tommy, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, it looks like Henrik Lundqvist is going to be handed down to uh, the Capitals as the backup goalie to Ilya Samsonov oh. uh, once free agency That's starts. That's a great. That's a great move because you know, why would Rangers come up in Lundqvist? Lundqvist still a great goaltender, and then you guys got hoping you got Lundqvist, two great goaltenders back to back. Well, I think he's <laughs> going to come in and replace Holtby because they like Samsonov as the, the young kid Samsonov as the starter, 
and they're going to sign Lundqvist oh, okay. to be his backup. But uh, it looks oh, like Holtby has all but said that he's played his last game, and I would imagine that the rum- if the rumors are true, and there's no reason to doubt them, that Lundqvist coming mm-hmm. means the end of Holtby. So they're going to get him on a, on a relatively short-term deal and use him wow. as their backup. Um, and he says, mm-hmm. you know, he's coming down here to try and win championships. Well, a little bit surprising because he had a great a great send off over New York uh, last week and uh, 50 consecutive years with the Rangers and uh, he was almost a little bit of everything for the Rangers all those years and I was surprised when he said that he was going to step away because he could have had another year as a backup goalie with the with the Rangers but he decided against that so I'm a little surprised that uh, in a week's time he changed his mind. And is now willing to accept the contract to come back for a year somewhere else? Um, I don't know whether it was as much uh, that he didn't want to be a backup with uh, the Rangers as, you know, when you look at the two teams, the Rangers versus the the Caps, (laughs) certainly the Rangers, the the Caps are better set up right now to to win a title. They just won one a couple of years ago. And when you still have all that firepower, you know. But he's still going to be a backup, right? He's still mm-hmm. going to be a backup. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe he looked around and he saw that the market for a late 30s goalkeeper just wasn't there and decided, you know, I'll take the best deal that I can get and I'll play as a backup and, you know, play on a championship winning uh, on a championship caliber side. And he got the offer and it was too good to turn down. I can't imagine that it's for too too much money because to be honest the Caps just don't have it if they're getting rid of Braden Holtby because they can't they don't think they can afford to resign him I can't imagine well Mike he doesn't need too much because he got to pay off for a year from the Rangers he's still had a year remaining on his contract and they they bought that out when he stepped away yeah so it it comes down to look reading the tea leaves and seeing who do you what team is not so far away that I have to totally relocate my, my family um, right. I think the fact that you know that there there are other international players on the uh, Washington National the Washington Capitals roster probably plays a, a played a factor into it, um, and especially the fact that this is a team that uh, with a new coach coming in uh, still having Alexander Ovechkin and those guys around them. This is a team that really could compete again next year. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at the teams in the Eastern Conference who have a position open for a backup goalkeeper who could also potentially be in this, the uh, Stanley Cup mix, there aren't many of them around. And so the Caps probably were the best option for him. Roger? For the Caps? Yeah, well, I, I, I read that, uh, and I agree with you, Mike. I read the uh, story about the, in the Post, as a matter of fact, about uh, him leaving. And I think that uh, he just, you know, was looking uh, a backup goalie uh, can play a lot of games. I mean, look at uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Elliott just signed, re-signed with the Flyers as a backup. And, uh, you know, you know, don't know when the goalie's going to get uh, hurt. And uh, then you're in there as the uh, number one guy. So I, I think that he's just looking to a change and, uh, you know, a different uh, – a different look, that's all. So, and the other big news out of this area was, uh, I alluded to it earlier, I don't know if you all caught the announcement that uh, 
Dwayne Haskins has been benched to the point where the reports were he didn't take any snaps during practice today. They all went to uh, Kyle, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, and their uh, practice squad QB. So it's likely that he may not even be on the active roster for uh, mm. this week's game against the Rams. How about your wow. baseball club down there, Mike? Uh, has there been any comment about them? Are there any, any rumors about uh, trades or making movements? Because uh, I know they want to get back into the hunt again. Well, they have uh, they have a lot of veteran contracts. Um, Doolittle, uh, the p- relief pitcher, he's basically said that he's out. Uh, Adam Eaton is is likely gone. Uh, Howie Kendrick has an option, so they can probably clear out about uh, 48 million in cap by, uh, to, to sign a couple of other players. They need they're going to need to rebuild their bullpen and try and add another bat. Uh, they, you know, we've talked about the fact that Scherzer is coming up on his age 37 season, and he has uh, one year left at about 27 million, of which. 15 is deferred. Uh, I was looking over the contract details today. I didn't realize that they had signed the deal for uh, it was a it's a seven year contract, but it pays him for 14 years. So he'll be collecting the better part of 15 million a season from the uh, from the Nationals for the next eight years, basically. Um, and so we're going to see whether or not they look to re-sign him and extend that contract by another couple of years. Uh, next year, after the 2021 season, there are quite a few pitchers that are going to be uh, unrestricted free agents. Uh, I think Zach Granke's out of contract, uh, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw. Um, well, he can't course, pitch versus Verlander's out for the whole year. He's got uh, elbow surgery. Yeah. So, he, he won't play next year. He won't play next year, but he'll still be an unrestricted free agent. And, right. you know, none of those guys, you know, Granke's on his his way out. Um, Scherzer and Verlander, Verlander's coming off the injury. Scherzer's getting a little bit old. Um, Clayton Kershaw in his early 30s isn't, nearly, isn't as consistent as he was in his 20s. Uh, so – it's conceivable that you could see Max resign um, for like four, maybe four, five years, pitch as a, a starter for another two or three seasons. And then, you know, he's got those five pitches. He could pull a John Smoltz in, in um, the last couple of years as a closer. I've seen that idea floated around down here. Well, Mike, the thing you have to think about, you just touched on it, that, you know, they'll be looking for relief fishing and solid relief fishing. And Roger and I, along with uh, Steve, just uh, finished a half, 15, 20-minute conversation baseball-wise. And, you know, the, the Phillies need relief fishing so badly, they've got to reach out and get not one, not two, they need three or four, Roger, relievers. And Washington is looking for, where are they going to get all these relievers? That's a good question. And that's why you see guys like um, Aroldis Chapman and and Zach Britton and some of those guys who who are really great relief pitchers getting 
the money that they are and being coveted as much. It's hard to find really consistent bullpen pitching that you can count on from year one, year in, year out. Um, it, you know, it, as good as the Nats bullpen was down the stretch last year, it was kind of rough this year. And that shows you just how quickly those bullpen arms can swing. Not as bad as the well, Phillies, yeah. Roger. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and you know that David Robertson, uh, he got he got a two year uh, multi million dollar contract, and I don't think he ever pitched uh, uh, maybe one game in the two years. That was it. That's terrible. It is. It's, un- it's unbelievable what's going on. But uh, you know, uh, to, to you know, one thing that to know that you have a closer. For the ninth inning, or maybe even out, one out of the eighth inning, and then the ninth inning, if you don't have to use them every day, uh, at least you have an anchor to pull in and say, "Okay, we got to check." Roger, how many games you used the number earlier? How many games were the Phillies ahead by five and six runs during the course of this last season and lost every one? Well, going okay. into the ninth, uh, the ninth inning, I was like, I think over twelve games. Yeah. yeah, and that's the problem that they, they – sometimes it's not about – you can have the best closer in the world, but if you can't get there, right? they're basically useless. Well, you know what, oh, okay. Mike? I can remember when they had Kenny Giles, and he was really mm-hmm. good, and then they traded him because they said that they were not in a position to hold on to a premier uh, a closer. And, mm-hmm. and then, of course, he's had some injuries. I think he's with uh, Toronto, isn't he? I think. I believe so. No, yeah, I think yeah. he's with Toronto when I read. But the uh, he was a tremendous closer. And the thing is, he was a fastball pitcher. But, but they mm-hmm. haven't had anybody like him. I mean, Neris, uh, you know, uh, he, he can do a job sometimes. But I don't think Joe uh, is really uh, has the confidence in him Get night in and night out. Right. And the other thing is, Roger, that you, when you get a relief pitcher, there's a big difference between pitching the seventh and eighth inning and pitching the ninth. Being the oh, guy yeah. that's going to actually shut the door and get that last out of the game, uh, you got to have mm-hmm. the right guy. And, and there just aren't that many of those guys around. No, you're and right, you got to look at where they, the, where they come from. You take a guy like Andrew Miller, who was a lights-out uh, setup man for a number of years. You know, he's a guy who was supposed to be a top end starter and was a starter for a while. Um, you know, a lot of guys back in the day, I can remember Jeff Samarja being used as a, mm-hmm. as a reliever for a while, and a lot of teams liked him, but he was a he was a starter. Um, well, Mike, you just named Brid is now setup man. He's not a closer. Coleman's a mm-hmm. closer. He's the setup guy. Well, and that's why, you know, well, and sometimes you get guys like that. Remember, Mariano Rivera was not the closer on the 96 Yankees. Wetland was. Mm-hmm. R- Rivera used to pitch the eighth. And then he came in and took over that ninth inning job and made it his. The number of guys who have done what. Well, Nelson, Nelson uh, was there then. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I, I think John Wetland was the closer for the 96 Yankees. I know it wasn't Mariano Rivera. He didn't become yeah. a closer until the 97 season. Well, I, mean, I, I just I just know that so many teams talk about, oh, we need pitching. 
the Phillies are in a different situation because Roger, I think, and Tommy, I think the Phillies are in a situation where they need at least two reliable closers. Not one, they need two, but they also need one reliable starter. I mean, they don't have they don't have five legitimate starters, and you know somebody's going to get hurt during the course of the season. So if you have five, you better have ten when you start the year because you're going to be going back and forth to the minor leagues to get somebody because you're not going to well, – one pitcher is going to go down. You're right, Don, and Arietta's contract's up, so he's a free agent. They, you know they won't bring him back. Right. So I, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I really don't. I don't, I don't know how they're going to – I don't know how they're going to – Steve said they have a good club. Well – they they have a fair club. I wouldn't say they have a good club, but they have I a potential club. Too. If everybody if everybody does what they're supposed to do, okay, maybe they'll be competitive. But they've got right. to get Joe some help. They got to get him some pitchers in both categories, or they're not going to win. You're right. No matter how many yeah. runs, if you can't hold them, uh, you know, off the bases, you're not going to win. I think the one. Tell me when you were out there taking batting practice in Cleveland, did you pitch at all? Maybe you could go in and help them pitch. There you go, Tom. Before they do anything, like before they even talk about the pitching staff, they need to get uh, Real Muto signed because what they gave up to get him, um, I think it would be bad business for the new GM to just let him walk without anything. Well, see, that's the problem that Clentac and the baseball people told John Middleton the managing general partner, that they thought that they would be able to sign him because Middleton did not want to make that deal for uh, Sixto uh, uh, Sanchez. And Mm -hmm. now you see, you know, he he was the top prospect of which the Phillies have few. And and that was a mistake. See, I wouldn't have made that deal, okay? And because you look at Jorge Alfaro, a younger guy, and he's done very well with the Marlins. And he was the – Philly's uh, heir apparent to be the uh, starting catcher. Well, I'll tell you, Roger, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we've talked about it and talked about it, as uh, Steve said and and now Mike said. You know, you can go back five, six, or seven years. I mean, the Phillies have had draft choices. They've had trades. But they haven't – and you've got to feel a little bit better because you've you've been talking to the ouster of their general manager for a long time. And he's finally right. gone. Right. And so Andy McPhail should be gone, too. Well, they haven't said anything about McPhail yet. <laughs> no, but it, it, his contract expires at the end of next season. Right. Roger, do you have a hit list for, of Philly's front office people up on your refrigerator <laughs> that you just go and you crawl all out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but what happened, Holy but it what happened Mike, is, well, but so the, his top, of top of the list, the top of the list, Mike was Kapler. Kapler was number one. Oh yeah, oh, he was number one. Kapler, and then, yep. then then this year it was McClintock. Now it's McPhail. I'm just wondering <laughs> if he just has all the front office things on his refrigerator or on a dry erase board. He just goes one by one and crosses them out as he knocks them off. <laughs> Well, well, they just uh, just wanted another home run against Tanaka. It's now five to one in favor of the Rays. There was a good article in uh, uh, Philly dot com, uh, which is the Inquirer Daily News. Uh, but I think Bob Brookover and one of the other guys. It was really good. 
and it talked about uh, how bad the Phillies have been in their their hiring of executives for baseball and and mm-hmm. managers, and about the totally incompetent Gabe Kapler. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Roger, he almost got the Giants. He almost got the Giants into the picture. I know he did. (laughs) That's amazing, amazing. (laughs) But you know what, Don? You know what our friend Henry Clay would say about Kabler? His uh, telephone number is one eight hundred. No clue. (laughs) (laughs) We heard that in Veterans Stadium a lot. Oh, oh my. Mike has already scored. Has already scored that hockey game in Philadelphia or soccer game in Philadelphia. No, it's still, um, it's still nothing, nothing. Uh, you know, Cincinnati it has caused the Union a little bit of trouble uh, thus far in the game. They're getting, uh, they're getting their opportunities. Um, but these mm-hmm. are the games again that that. The union need to win if they're they're going to take that next step from being the uh, you know the the, the chasers the, the little team that could to an actual right. threat and right. um, if there's any year for them to take that next step if there's any year for for, for uh, Jim Curtin and company to finally prove that they can get this team over the hump it's it's this year you know so many of the big teams to traditional powers are, are really struggling. Uh, right now, the union's point total of 28th would put them in first in the Western Conference. So the power is in the East, and they have to get by a Toronto team that's got some players, but they can be inconsistent. Columbus uh, is is good, but they're not. I don't think man for man they're any better than the union. I think the union's got a squad that is capable of winning an MLS Cup, or at least making a decent run. Um, it's just a matter of how they manage uh, in, in crunch time. And the knock on Jim Curtin has always been, you know, when the lights get brightest, when it gets down to crunch time in the playoffs and in, in um, games to win trophies, he just doesn't have the goods. And, you know, at some point in time, you know, if not this year, if they fall short this year, they're really going to have to take a um, – Ernst Tanner's really going to have to take a hard look and say, like, look, I like him. I think he's a good coach, but we've given him rosters over the course of the last three years that are, we think are capable of competing at a higher level than they have. If it, you can't fire all the players, you can fire the manager, though. That's right. That's well, right. one other thing I'd touch on before we uh, jump to another topic, and that is uh, – the National Hockey League is now looking next year at, uh, J- at January 1st at kicking off the season, uh, which is, is uh, to me, I think that's great. The basketball season and the hockey season should not start, you know, two months before the Christmas vacation. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So maybe this year. My only question uh, with, with that is, though, Roger, if they're going to start on January 1st, how late into the summer are they planning on playing? We played in Labor Day this year. <laughs> I mean, Probably. is the Stanley well, Cup going to be on Labor Day? They have to be playing like on Labor Day. Yeah. And is that going to be a semi-permanent thing? Because 
you know, I don't know. Like this, this whole ending hockey in October was a bit odd. Yep. Well, the thing is, you know, they're just going up against all the college games. They're going against all the NFL games. I mean, to me, uh, nobody really looks at it. Tommy said this many times on the show. Nobody really looks at the National Hockey League until you're maybe 20, 25 games into the season because that's when the Mm -hmm. season really begins for fans. Right, Tommy? Exactly. That's when when they had the New Year's Day game of of the playing outdoor, the outdoor game. That kicks off the NHL season. It's like Christmas Day kicks off the NBA season. But that'd be a smart move. Just play, start up the second week in in, in January, and, and see what happens with this stuff. You know, like are they going to are they going to start? Are, are they going to play a shortened season? Because I just can't. I, I mean, I, I'm all for it. You know, start in um, start in. In in January, but typically the you know we're we're getting to the point now where the Stanley Cup is being settled in June, so and they're starting in October, so that tells me that you're playing about eight months, so that would right. put it around Labor Day would be the end of the right. NBA. The, the finals is that a permanent right. thing? Are they are they going to do that? It just uh, it would be an interesting thing to question. To see them go up, like, right. that would then put you up against baseball throughout most of the summer. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I think well, right now hockey. One, one, one way they could, one way, I mean, there's a number of ways that they could solve the problem is how many games they want to play. Uh, you know, cut down on the travel, have a team come in and play two games back to back rather than, uh, for instance, a tough would be Vancouver, but. Let's say the, the Devils or the Rangers or the Lightning or whatever uh, come in and play two games uh, or, or uh, you know, in back-to-back nights rather than have two days off and then play again. So they could back up the games like they did during the tournament and uh, pull a lot more games in a lot shorter period of time. Tough games would be the ones up in Canada because they have so far to travel. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, you start playing Saturday afternoon games, and a Sunday night game for you. This is where the team is in, in town for the weekend, Saturday afternoon, and it's a Sunday night game. That's the way the Flyers used yeah, to Yeah, that's do. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. The well, other thing we haven't sense. figured out, though, is going to be whether or not they're actually going to be able to play games in Canada. Right. That's because, true. you know, if we're still dealing with uh, – restrictions based on COVID-19 and travel restrictions, mm-hmm. you know, we've been, I've been talking about the fact that in this week is an international week in soccer and U S men's soccer, national soccer team hasn't played a game since February, mm-hmm. since they haven't mm-hmm. played a game all calendar year. And one of the reasons is they can't go anywhere. That's right. right. That's right. So, you know, all the Canadian teams in MLS right now are having to play in the U.S. Uh, if we're still in any way, shape, or form dealing with that when the NHL season starts, that's going to be really right. interesting. I think for, I think you're Canadians. right there, Mike. But I think a lot of a lot of teams we're going to have to wait and see how the COVID uh, turns out. But a lot of teams aren't going to be able to travel, so I I think they're all going to have to make make adjustments in that regard. But uh, we we got to make another jump because Doug is all right. Mr. Hamilton has got all this. Notes on it. The paper's ready to Mike, go. Have Mike, a great thank week. you. Thank you. Have a terrific Mike. week, and thank you very, very much. Always a pleasure. 
Dundee. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, Mike, have a great week. Don, I'm looking at the uh, union game, still nothing, nothing. And what do I see? NJM. And when I see that ad, I think of Kim Ziegler, your lovely <laughs> daughter. <laughs> well, that's I say true, I, right? That's, that's true. right. You're right. You're right. But if it's uh, nothing, nothing at the moment, that means it's been nothing, nothing since the start. And we've been That's on the right. air for what an hour, an hour or so, and had they score yet? But uh, I can right. say this is now five to one in favor of Tampa Bay. Uh, but going to Doug, uh, Mr. Jackson made a big comeback this week, and that's got to make you pretty happy. Yeah, it's, uh, Union just scored, Don. Union just scored. Oh, good. And here's, All right. and here's Doug. Sorry to jump in, Doug. <laughs> um, yeah, you. I I, uh, I know nothing about soccer, so you have to listen on that one. Mm. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I know about soccer is there's too there's too much running. <laughs> you get kicked the ball, use so. your head a lot. Right. So That's yeah, right. no, it was uh, it was a good it was a good sports week. I'm uh, you know nice to um, nice to watch the Ravens get a win. Um, you know, at some point in time, I guess you could call that a a rivalry between the Redskins and and uh, um, and the Ravens, but um, you know they did what they had to do. They 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 played a team that was on their schedule that they should have beaten, and they beat them. And uh, you know nobody really got hurt, and um, you know it was it was a good win for them. I mean they they got back on track. I think offensively, I I still have many question marks about their defense. I just you know they they don't get to the quarterback. Um, you know, I kind of think we're back to the the Dean Pease bend but don't break defense of giving up yards, but not not a lot of points. Um, right. You know, I think that they're they're having an, a difficult time. You know, and and to me, I mean, I know that we saw the the uh, the switch there with with Haskins uh, going to what third quarterback, and they're promoting Kyle Allen or whoever, and and Alex Smith, I believe, is the backup. So, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, the Washington team thinks uh, that's a pretty weak uh, division anyway. So I guess they think that some of those teams are ripe for the picking and they can do something. But, I mean, they don't – you know, watching that Washington team, I mean, they have a young nucleus of some players, I think, that are decent. But overall, the talent level on that team in terms of the skill positions isn't very good. Um, you know, they – I don't know, they just – they just don't – I mean, Haskins just – the game moves too fast for him. I think he played decent against against the Ravens in terms of his, his statistics. But, um, you know, they they don't have a lot to hang their hat on as far as talent goes. And I think there's still um, a couple years of draft and free agents uh, from, from making an impact. Albeit, like I said, in a weak division, they have an opportunity. Um, you know, um, da- Dallas – uh, their offense looks really good, but their defense is not good at all. I mean, they gave up a ton of points to the Browns. Um, you know, I, the, <laughs> the Eagles. I feel I feel terrible for Zach Ertz um, as far as the Eagles. I mean, he's he's such a good tight end, but they just can't get him the football. Um, right. You know, the the back end of their secondary um, has been banged up. I mean, their defensive line is incredible. Um, hard to run the football on them. Um, you know, I just. That, you know, I think the Eagles, 
talent-wise, I think they they should win that division. But that going, I mean, Carson Wentz just he can't get it together. They can't get Zach Ertz the football. They can't run the football. Their wide receivers are banged up. Their secondary is banged up. I mean, you know, the the Giants um, have a good young nucleus, but again, they're devoid of a lot of talent on that football team. So I mean, it's still wide open. Um, you know, moving on to the to the Ravens. I mean, they they're three and one. Um, struggling defensively, their special teams and offense have kept them in football games. And um, I mean, the Steelers are still a good football team. The Browns have shown some life. The Bengals are, are in a rebuild mode. So there's there's a lot of question marks there, um, you know, with what's going on. But uh, still fun to watch. I mean, I'm looking forward to the to the Ravens um, coming home this week and playing against the Bengals, and hopefully they can they can keep that going. So, Tommy. Mm-hmm. Oh, just. Uh... Doug, finally, you got the cool weather up in the north. We still got mm-hmm. the darn hot weather. <laughs> what's your keys for what's your keys for your members? What would you tell your members for this for this upcoming season down south, or mm-hmm. would you just tell them to say, yeah. play much tender, nice weather? Yeah, I tell you, we you know obviously we we finished up our, our tournament schedule. Um, we're just kind of enjoying some of the really nice fall weather. I mean, it was close to eighty degrees here today. The Mornings are fairly crisp in the in the fifties, um, but it warms up nicely and you know, it's probably dark here by six forty five or so, so some of those, you know, late night adventures in terms of nine holes are, are 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 summertime gone. So um you know, it's a wonderful transition for a lot of our members who uh have homes in the south or, or just visit there um a good bit to um you know, enjoy some, some warmer weather there and, and do some different things. Um I had the uh uh, the opportunity to visit a um, a club here recently for a Titleist club fitting um, hmm. seminar. The brand new brand new Titleist driver and fairway medals are coming out the week of the Masters, uh, the TSI series, which they've uh, revamped um, their metal woods and driver uh, to initiate not just uh, more distance, but uh, a straighter uh, ball flight, which I, I found to be pretty true. They have some uh, some weights on the back end of that thing that that you can you can fool with to, to create some different uh, ball flights, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, really solid, um, good feel to them. The acoustics were good, um, and the club that I went to um, was down uh, near Annapolis, yeah. and it was great because they had their their range was a Bermuda grass range, uh, which nice. obviously here in the Northeast we're certainly not used to. It's it's going to be more. Nope either bent, bent bluegrass, rye, or something of that nature. Uh, so to hit off of the bent, of the uh, Bermuda was kind of cool. And so to your point, Tommy, the transition has to be from uh, the cooler the cooler weather grasses, which I previously mentioned, into the warmer weather grasses of Bermuda, which the ball sits a little bit differently. The grain certainly makes um, a lot of difference on a lot of the greens. Um, it's a different feel altogether. Um, you have to dig a little bit more and um, and hit make mm-hmm. ball first contact, um, but it's it's a little bit of a transition, but um, great time for people to to you know move from some of the cooler weather and, and sweaters and jackets down to uh, your neck of the woods, mm-hmm. and they can probably keep their short pants out. <laughs> yeah. Roger, Thank you. yeah, Doug. You know it's interesting when you talk about turf. Um, my mm-hmm. uh, cousin's uh, son uh, went to Penn State and majored uh, yeah. in turf. Turf, and yeah. uh, he's with the Toronto Blue Jays. And of yeah. course, when they had a, a play up in Buffalo, 
he, he is trained on both northern and southern turf. So the mm-hmm. uh, Blue Jays, he's based in Dunedin. The Blue Jays sent mm-hmm. him up to work in Buffalo to make sure that they uh, uh, had the turf right uh, so that the sure. players would be a little bit more uh, acclimated, you know, to what they mm-hmm. were used to. I thought that was really interesting, just, you know, it's uh, bearing out the, what you were just saying about the turf. Sure. Now, the um, Penn State's a wonderful agronomy school. Um, a lot of uh, superintendents and, and turf grass uh, guys come from there. It's it's very, uh, you know, renowned for uh, its expertise in, in turf grass management. And, um, in fact, I believe I believe my superintendent uh, went there. I mean, there's a couple schools. Rutgers is really good. Maryland's really good. They have turf grass uh, programs. But that whole concept of, of growing grass is really fascinating um, with regard to, you know, the different um, sprays and diseases and uh, growth patterns and, you know, you you hear these different words uh, that, that they present. And, you know, I guess if you don't know and you gloss over, you don't really care about it. But over the course of time that I've spent, um, you know, behind the counter, I've always wanted to know uh, different principles of, of why they spray certain things or why they aerify or, um, you know, um, just when divots are taken, you know, how long does it take for that to, to regenerate or, or a ball mark gets made or, or fixed or, I mean, all those sorts of right. things I think are fascinating and, you know, the, the one word that I always thought was the funniest was the, the word is rhizominous. And what that means is when grass grows, it not only grows up as grass would grow, but it also grows sideways. And it, it winds up filling in you know, those turf areas uh, more readily. And when you talk about, you know, the cool season versus the warm uh, season grasses and the different, you know, because we'll spray up here probably in another, I'd say, month if it if it's not maybe a little sooner for um, snow mold and, and different to- types of, of winter um, diseases and ailments. And, you know, when you talk about moisture, I mean, obviously you need moisture for grass to grow, but if you have too much, it, it, it will breed its own level of disease, which then creates another problem, right? So um, it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. When you, when you listen to somebody who really knows what the heck they're talking about, um, you know, you, you can you can figure some things out, you know, <laughs> so... Well, Doug, they're going to have to make some quick thinking there because the next two tournaments are in Las Vegas. The Shriners is this week, and uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be unusual to jump from the East Coast and the weather we've had here yeah. out to Las mm-hmm. Vegas and the kind of heat yeah. that they may have out there. And also, the totally sure. different turf than you know, what you would expect. Yeah, I, I know that that's a, a, a big, big thing um, when they make their um, you know, coastal swing, so to speak. Uh, to go from the different um, types of grasses. And, you know, like I mentioned, Bermuda grass uh, typically has some version of grain to it. Um, as it grows, you know, it grows, um, I believe they say, towards the sunlight. So certain putts <clears throat> on the greens, whether you're into the grain or down grain, will be either faster or slower uh, based on where the sun rises and sets in terms of the growth patterns. Mm. And you don't think so, but it you know, it does make a difference. I've never played on um, Bermuda greens enough to know what that difference is. And so that's to your point, Don, I mean, if if you make those coastal swings, it's certainly an adjustment uh, that you'll have to make for sure. Hmm. Go ahead, Roger. No, I was just going to say that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, you got to get totally, you got to totally used to the different types of greens. I mean, 
sure yeah, does. That's true. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you know, you were you were talking, Don, uh, last we spoke. We, we spoke briefly about uh, the Preakness, and uh, just to to comment on the uh, the filly that won that um, Swiss Skydiver. That's the first first filly to win the Preakness since I believe 1924, which the last time was Rachel Alexandra, I believe, was the name. I watched the uh, the Preakness, but I also watched the race before. They had a couple of good, really good races there with the Preakness. Yeah, well, so, they, uh, it was, uh, they usually they usually do the, the, the Black Eyed Susan, I believe, is, is one of the undercards yeah. typically. Right. Usually it's the day before. Yeah. I think they swapped it. Um, but nope, uh, they had a, the they had a right yeah. right in front. I would say a terrific day. A, a shame that mm-hmm. no, obviously nobody could be there. But uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, eleven to one shot gets the win, and that's a major right. surprise. And uh, what Mister 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 Trainer was a little a bit disappointed standing on the sideline yeah. watching his horse finish second. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was it was close all the way down to the wire, and it was. Uh, Swiss skydiver by a head bob, I think. But the the one that got you was the third place horse, which was uh, uh, at post time forty nine to one. So if if you had that right. in your trifecta, you, you cashed out pretty good. I believe the trifecta was somewhere north of six hundred bucks in terms of what it paid for. A I didn't trifecta. see that. I, yeah, so, I didn't see that track record. I didn't. I didn't see the uh, the payoff board. To be honest with you, I just knew that uh, the winner was eleven to one, and yeah. uh, so you put a couple, couple of bucks on it, you got two. 22 back, yeah. but uh, well, the, uh, the exact it wasn't so pleasant because the second place worst authentic was was somewhere around nine to five or or, or thereabouts. Right, but the, right. I want to say that the trifecta was 500 and something, the superfecta was 600 and something. Um, you know, so it was uh, a profitable day if somebody would have hit the all button in that third and fourth spot. Let me ask you this about the, the Baltimore area, because I, I really mm-hmm. don't know it that well, even though my grandson lives down there, as I've said many times, that he works and lives in Baltimore. But uh, does yeah. the community really take the uh, take racing? Because racing has really gone out of style. And mm-hmm. does the community really get behind something like the Preakness, or is it still just a selected few horse yeah. people that are really, really into it? Well, I mean... I'd say first and foremost, I mean, the, the term Baltimore area is, is one that a lot of individuals use if they're in the neighborhood, I'd say, of, I mean, if you live in, like where I lived originally in Carroll County, it was it was easier just to tell people I lived near Baltimore because they knew where that was, but I was probably 30 miles northwest of there, right? So it, it's a relative term, but to your point, you know, I mean, um, you know, horse country as we know it is is Kentucky and and some of those areas. Um, right. You know, I, I guess. But you know, for, for 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 the most part, I mean, the Preakness is more of a scenario where, unfortunately, the the younger kids find that in in years past, obviously, when when they could um, inhabit the the infield area, they were just thinking about how many beers they were going to drink and those sorts of things. So. You know, I, I I mean, there's a lot of horse country um, in the valley where I work in terms of Hunt Valley and, and that area. Um, but, I mean, it's, you know, Maryland itself, I think, has lo- lost its luster uh, over the years in terms of the downtrodden nature of, of Pimlico in general. Um, you know, and, and that, that area isn't the best of areas, as we've, we've remarked over the course of time. But, I mean, it's, you know, it, it was a, it's a great location to have the Preakness because it because it has been you know what I mean before because it's obviously one of the crown jewels but in general 
It, it's not. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, you look at Saratoga and Belmont and all the the New York areas, um, you know, that have you know the the, the Belmont, but you know, Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it's it, it's the first race. It's the crown jewel. It's the biggest race of all three. It's the biggest race of the year. But I mean, even when you talk about you know the Breeders' Cup and and some of the things that lead up to it, there are so many other racetracks across the country that you know that that are just better racetracks. You know what I mean? Um, right. You know, even in the California area, um, you know, with Santa Anita and, and I guess Del Mar and some of those areas. I mean, they're all they're all better. You know what I mean? I mean, most most of those people think of coming to Baltimore in terms of the Preaknesses. Yeah, I want to run the race because I, I want to win the Preakness, but no, I don't really want to go there. You know. Well, before I get you, before I get your long shot of the week uh, this week <laughs> on the golf tour out in Las Vegas, uh, Roger, jump in there for a minute. Roger, over Roger, here, Roger. Pick somebody up. He's he's Ubering. <laughs> Roger's still he's still counting his winnings. He must have had the winning horse. <laughs> he probably had a hundred bucks on it, so he's right. He's he's. he's Tommy, go ahead. Uh, everybody. I was watching the sports highlights uh, for the four-letter network, right? There's a horse ready for third place, and the horse, the horse, the horse makes a U-turn and starts going off the track. So the, so the jockey had to drive the horse back, get, get with the pack, and the horse almost won the race. He finished in third place after that, after that detour. But it's funny because see the horse is coming this way, and the horse is going – this way, then it makes it, it makes it detour this way. With the, with the jockey, thank God, know what he's doing. He made the horse go toward the pack, and the horse was in third, finished in third place. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. I've seen the, the pen foot races; those are fixed and every, everything else that way. But that's it's it's interesting how how that happened that way. So it's happening that that way and that, and and you got a lot of good football games, hockey games coming up this week, and. It's going to be it's going to be a good week in sports. Good week. Well, we're five to, we're five to two right now in the uh, top of the sixth inning, and uh, uh, interesting the way they flip flopped the first two games. Of course, Tampa was the home team. Now Tampa's on the road, even though they're playing the same place. But oh my, look at this! Tampa just got another home run. Oh my, Perez just hit a two run home run. So now it's Seven to two instead of five to two, but Doug, let's go back to uh, Vegas and what is your what is your long shot pick of the week? <laughs> well, I don't I don't have the odds in front of me, but I tell you, you know, you, you'd have to think. Uh, I guess uh, what is it? TPC Summerlin Summerlin they're playing this week, or mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, so I mean, you know, I saw DeChambeau was in the field, so you, you obviously can't rule him out. I saw Colin Morcow in the field. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, a lot, a lot of these, you know, kind of silly season um, events that they do um, like this. Uh, you know, we're obviously in October, so you know, right? A lot of these, a lot of these guys enter. I mean, you know, I mean, I saw uh, J.B. Holmes was on there. When's the last time you heard his name? Well, you it's know, a surprising. I mean, uh, it's a surprising week because uh, Scotty Scheffler is, is uh, the one. Of course, he missed the U.S. Open, as you know. Because of yep. uh, COVID nineteen, so he couldn't, and uh, so it, it's. Uh, but he has, you know, he hasn't really done anything, and yet they're picking mm-hmm. him as the long shot of the long shot of the week. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, Webb Simpson. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, somebody who, who has one that can win, that, you know, it means more to him to win than it does anything else. You know what I mean? It, it's, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's other guys in the field that, that we would deem to be favorites, but, um, you know, they're supposed to play well, of course, but there's, you know, Don, you and I have talked about, you know, some of these lesser known guys that over the course of time have uh, figured a way uh, to, to win these events. And, and obviously the, the talent level was is so good from, from week to week. So, um, you know, Cameron champ, I mean, there's a bunch of guys in here that you just never know. I mean, they, they could have a couple of good rounds and find themselves, you know, atop the leaderboard. So, um, let's no go with Simpson. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a shot with Scheffler and see what he does. It, it, he finished, okay. what, 47th, I think, last week. And yeah. uh, he hadn't had a chance to do very much as uh, the COVID situation. Yeah. So we'll have to sure. see what happens there. But I'll tell you, it's going to be very interesting because I, I don't know where they're playing the second half of the doubleheader out in Vegas. They're playing the next two weeks there, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's got to be a gazillion Bush. good golf courses out there. Oh, gosh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. Lot of, you know where they're playing, stuff. Tommy, the second one? I don't know where they're playing this one, but I don't know where they're playing the second one. Well, I think if we play in Las Vegas, then I think just keep it right there. The, the two the two tournaments right there, then they, then they go for the Masters after that. So that's, that's what I'm thinking of right there. Just have it probably have it right in Vegas up there. So. Doug, real quick, what is your golf tip of the week for, for a guy coming down here in Florida and hasn't played all summer long? Well, they're playing this one this week in Summerlin, but I, I don't know I don't know exactly where that is either. So, uh, but anyway, we'll we'll see what happens yeah. in that regard. But sure, uh, <clears throat> Doug, as we go back, you said uh, the Ravens this week uh, go back in action and yeah. get Cincinnati. The Bengals, the Bengals have struggled. Yeah. They have finally yeah. gotten a win. What do you think? I mean, you know, Joe Burrows looked pretty good in his rookie debut. Uh, you know, uh, Joe Mixon uh, played really great last week. The the defense from the Bengals just, you know, isn't really that good. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a division game. Certainly, that means more than uh, than not. But um, you know, playing at home, if that were some kind of a benefit, like I said, up and sleeping in your own bed and, and eating a crab cake or something. But um, you know, the ability to uh, to square off against against the Bengals and and uh, hopefully continue the the run game uh, success they've had and uh, obviously not not have anybody get injured and 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 squeak out a win somehow you know. Um, but let me let me one, ask you this question because the run game as you said has been very good but it's been very good with yeah. Jackson. What what are the yeah. supplemental runners? What are the what are the other backs doing besides Jackson himself? Mm-hmm. Have they been a, a factor sure. in the running game at all? Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, Coach Harbaugh's uh, from week to week going with the hot hand, and, and uh, in subsequent weeks, it's been either Ingram or their uh, second round draft pick Dobbins, or even even uh, Gus Edwards. They've all gotten an opportunity to carry the football, and and all have run the football well when they've gotten that opportunity. I think that uh, the line has blocked very well. Uh, Nick Boyle is one of the best blocking tight ends in football, and obviously Jackson's uh, taken his share of carries and that play action pass be set off of that run um has has been uh has been good i think marquise brown has uh you know looked really good from a wide receiver standpoint last week mark andrews caught two touchdowns and, and has shown that he's one of the top tight ends in football and um they've been able to move the football uh very well so i look forward to them continuing to run it and, and play the field position game if not score and and uh and and beat a 
inferior uh, Cincinnati team this week. <laughs> Tommy? Yeah, they, Hello, they, Tommy. They, uh, they, they, hey, hold they, on, guys. Uh, they, play, uh, they play the Eagles uh, a week from Sunday, Doug. Okay. The Ravens. Okay. Well, okay. Doug, Roger, and, and Don, uh, Francis says uh, tick-tick-tock up against the clock. Have yeah. a great That's week. Thank you, everybody. Well, we'll, Roger, we'll, get to your, we'll get to your question next week when they're playing the next yes, Sunday. Sir. So we'll, we'll hold yeah, off sir. right there. But, Frank, another great job behind the behind the scenes. And, uh, gentlemen, another great Wednesday night. Doug, thank, thank you, you very much. And we'll do it all again thank next week. Thank you. Thanks, Have a great week. I'd like, like to talk, thank all our guests up there, Roy Cummings, Don Henderson, Roger Hendler, um, Mike for the for the soccer segment of the program, Doug for the golf segment of the program. Frank, for my family, your family, have a very blessed weekend and safe weekend. How many more days till Halloween? We'll to, <laughs> that's the question of the day. How many days to Halloween and Thanksgiving? So God bless you, Frank. 24. Great job tonight. Right, thanks. Oh, my God, 24. Okay. Great. Every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. Please let them know that you know they're there. These are very difficult times for anybody in uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childress, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Lieutenant Mike Zerbin, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman and Officer Christman, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, Longville Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Alonzo Moses, Highway Patrol, Philadelphia Police Department, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Police Department, Highway Patrolman Brian, Mar- Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA, Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Robert Jermaine, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Police Fire Department, uh, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpa Springs Police Department, Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kylop, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Sergeant Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highlands County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, Delhi County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Nat- uh, April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the day of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shemalek Mahilama Shemahe 